Sister Sophia, if you could bring up that um, title page. Um, if you have been coming to church for a little while, you uh, will, or most probably will have been aware that I've been teaching a series um, of lessons on the book of Galatians um, in the second half of last year. Um, it is a five-part series. This is part four. Um, so we're continuing in the vein, but we'll just go a little bit over what um, we have done previously, just in, in very general terms, um, as we come to where we're at right now. So the theme of the book of Galatians, what holds it all together, what the current that goes through the book of Galatians is don't get fooled into following false doctrine, no matter how good or reasonable it sounds. Stick to the full truth of God's word. And that's what underpins the entire book of Galatians. So, who or what is Galatia? Um, if you can bring the, the second slide, please. Galatia is a region that darker green in the middle um, is the region of Galatia that had many cities in. And this is Paul's first missionary journey where you can see he, um, for the first time, went through uh, Antioch and Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and then on the way back, um, he... He visited them again, um, going through. And then the next slide. Um, on the second and third missionary journeys, they're very similar. Um, he goes through Tarsus and then through Galatia immediately. Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. And, and the third is very similar to that. Galatia is a region. It's not just a single church. It's a, it was a Roman province at that time. Um, and included many re regions, which many of which are referred to in the book of Acts, Eastern Phrygia, um, Lycaonia, Isioria, Pisidia, and Pamphylia. Claudius Caesar made Pamphylia its own province, distinct, distinct from Galatia at some point during his reign, and it kind of moved back in and out of uh, being a part of Galatia. Churches were established by Paul in Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium in Phrygia, and Lystra and Derby in Lycaonia. And the word was preached in Perga of Pamphylia. So everything we read about the, how the churches were started is in the book of Acts, which we went through in the first uh, lesson. But a common theme of the Jews uh, opposing Paul's message to the Gentiles appears um, when you see how the churches started. The, the Jews would follow Paul um, um, to the Galatian churches and, and they would cause trouble. They, they would try to say that uh, they needed to follow the law and everything in the law and circumcision and, and they were things that were not given to the church um, as a whole. They wanted people to become Jews, basically, even though God did not command uh, the Gentiles to become Jews. He commanded them to follow Jesus. The last lesson. Uh, next slide, please. All right. We finished off by looking at Galatians chapter 3, uh, verses 26 to 29. For ye are all children of God 
by faith in Christ Jesus, not by the works of the law, but by faith. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. So he was saying, there's no need to become a Jew. There's no, there's no Jew, there's no Greek. Nothing of that exists in the church. There's no need to follow the works of the law. There's no need to go back and do what God originally gave, but then fulfilled um, when Jesus died on the cross. So if we go to the next slide, we'll continue that theme in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. I'll be following uh, very closely to uh, Brother Jeremy Painter's um, handbook on the epistles of Paul. Um, as published by the Pentecostal Publishing House. The elements of the world often refer to non-material demonic forces that enslave human beings, but it also refers here to the bondage of the law, which was caused by humanity's fallen nature. The law itself was not evil. It merely exposed the human evil that enslaves individuals and cultures. Referring to his audience's state before they became Christians, Paul called them children. This uh, title refers back to Paul's discussion of the law as a pedagogue. The pedagogue led children who were incapable of making informed decisions. And so when we look back um, at the, the last lesson, and so I've included this here because you're probably not going to remember um, just, just off the top of your head, um, it talked about the law being a schoolmaster to bring uh, the uh, people from, uh, from darkness and then uh, on the way to something better. It was, it was training. It was something that wasn't meant to be the, the final version, but it was meant to lead people closer to God until something better could be installed, which is the church age. And so when it talks about being a schoolmaster, it is more accurately understood if it was um, talked about as being a pedagogue, which is literally a child leader. In antiquity, a pedagogue's task was not to teach children. If Paul had meant schoolmaster, he would have used the Jewish term didaskalos. The pedagogue was a slave whose task was to lead them to school and to govern their behavior. So the law was equated with a servant whose job was to lead God's children by their constant failings all of the way to Christ, bit by bit to Christ, the merciful Savior. Say, talking about the law being something that had to be put into place to actually get them into a place where they could be led to Christ. Verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. 
The fullness of time here refers back to the time appointed of the Father in verse 2. In antiquity, the phrase rendered sent forth his Son did not necessarily imply that the pre-existence of the one sent. It was a phrase often used throughout the ancient world to refer to the birth of a human redeemer figure. The purpose of Paul's teaching on Christ here was to show that the birth of God's Son was to mark the beginning of the end of the Mosaic Law's rule. Temporary rule. It was to serve its ultimate purpose in creating the legal demand for and then being legally satisfied by the blood sacrifice of a saviour. In that way, it was necessary for the rule of the law to be in effect when the son was born. This allowed him to redeem those who were also under the law. Verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The adoption of sons speaks of God's legal adoption of those who were not sons by birth. One received this adoption at baptism, who were buried with baptism into Christ. As a sign of the believer's new status as a son of God, the spirit of his son is sent into the heart of the believer, regenerating and rebuilding the new believer at the most fundamental level of his or her being. It's a complete transformational experience. This sign manifests itself in two ways. The new believer receives a powerful and amazing experience of the Spirit. The premise of Paul's entire argument is that the Galatians' anxiety over whether or not they were approved of by God is misplaced. They were given evidence of his approval upon their infilling of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit within them speaks, crying out, Abba, Father. And number two, the evidence of their sonship continues to manifest itself in new ways that the believer lives his or her life. The fact that Paul used both the Aramaic term for father, Abba, and the Greek term for father, Pater, um, side by side may speak to the unique constitution of the church. It is both Jewish and Gentile. The Spirit speaks the language of diversity and unity within that diversity. Verse 7, wherefore you are no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit then, when you knew, you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and times and years. Paul did not deny that these other gods existed. He merely denied that they were in fact gods. The pagan Galatians formerly gave undue worship to weak and subservient elements, idols, things that were not godly and were not of God. Paul surprisingly included the legalistic administration of the law as one of these elements. Even though there were fundamental differences between paganism and Jewish legalism, both operated on principles of fear and ritualism, days and months and times. 
Paul found it irrational to return to such a state after knowing the God who Christ revealed. Once we know Jesus, we don't need to do rituals. We don't need to to have these kind of um, things that are just works in place to follow God. Ignorant of the exalted place to which the knowledge of Christ had brought them, the Galatians were foolishly contemplating a return to a hopelessly naive and childish state of existence. It was only meant to be a schoolmaster. It was only meant to help them through until the church age came. But now they wanted to go back. They wanted to follow the law, which was never meant for them in the first place. Instead of believing the evidence of the Spirit, which cried out that they were sons of God, as we read in verse 6, they were settling for the lowly evidence provided by ritual observances. Verse 11, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. It just wasn't an optional extra. It wasn't something that they just didn't need to do. But he was afraid that they were going to lose their salvation by following the law. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. You have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh you despise not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Illness was often believed to be a sign of God's disfavor or demonic activity. John chapter 9 and verse 2, And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It was believed to be something that um, indicated the disfavor of God, that, that God was not with them. And then, Next, next slide, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, that I, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice or three times that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It was not an indication that God did not disfavor, but it was often something that just... um, uh, that was put in place for a particular purpose um, or was not to do with God at all. Okay, because illness was often believed to be a sign of God's disfavor or demonic activity, it would have been precarious to attempt to evangelize and claim apostleship in such a condition of having uh, some sort of an impairment in their person's body. However, the Galatians received Paul with no reservations. They knew that he was of God. They didn't look at his infirmities, but they realized that who was speaking was speaking with the voice of God to them. Verse 15, where is then that blessedness you spoke of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. It appears that 
um, what was wrong with him. It had something to do with his sight. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. And not only when I am present with you. He was saying, it's okay to be zealous. It's good to be zealous. It's good to want to follow God with all of your heart. But the zeal that these uh, false Jews were trying to bring into the church, the zeal of putting into place um, rituals and practices that were not of God for the church, they they were, were zealously affecting them in the wrong way. They were taking them away from God instead of towards God. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Paul was expressing here a wish to speak with his audience in person instead of having to resort to a letter. Paul's loss was the future generation's gain. The church problems that so troubled Paul and the great difficulty of travel that made personal communication impossible caused Paul to commit his thoughts to letters. But these troubles and difficulties indirectly ensured that his teachings could guide future generations. We have a book of Galatians because Paul was not able to visit. We have the teaching that what guides us today because he needed to put these things down on paper. Verse 21, Tell me, you that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which uh, gendereth to bondage, which leads to bondage, which which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answers to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, you barren that bear not. Break forth and cry, you that travail not. For the desolate has many more children than she which has an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him, that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what says the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So let's unpack that a bit. In antiquity, an allegorical reading, or a reading with a hidden spiritual meaning, was considered a broader and deeper reading of a text. Allegory brought a text's spiritual meaning to light. To suggest that a text is an allegory is to suggest that a story's explicit narrative, that which you can easily read and see, that you don't have to go deeper for, is really an implicit narration of another story. So there's a hidden story within that story in a spiritual context. It is a story with two distinct but related tellings. In this case, Paul believed that the stories of the Old Testament were written to inform and tell the story of God's people in the last days. Can we uh, look at the next slide? 
Okay, I don't have it. Uh, previous slide then, please. Oh, sorry, yes, I do. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 and verse 11, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. It's talking about the law. It's talking about the things that are written in the Old Testament. They're the examples to us, and they're written for our benefit. Since the Galatians were considering coming under the law, Paul argued from the law itself in Genesis chapter 16 and 21, suggesting that the end of the former covenant is, is indicated within the Torah itself. For Paul, he linked Ishmael with the law. Ishmael had the... Um, he, he was the firstborn. He was the one that came first. He was, number two, he had a status as the son of a slave. Three, he persecuted his younger half-sibling Isaac. And that corresponds to, number one, the Jews' um, firstness in preceding the Christians as God's sons. Number two, the Jews' bondage under the law. And three, the Jews' present persecution of Gentile Christians. He brings it all into the same uh, spiritual uh, context. Also, as Ishmael was conceived out of, um, out of, uh, how do I put it, out of uh, the belief that it was needed to be done, and Isaac was born by supernatural means, so was the Mosaic covenant born out of what was necessary at the time, while the new covenant came about as the result of a miracle. This points to the importance of Christ's virgin birth and the supernatural second birth of the Christian in our teachings. Next uh, verse, Galatians 5 and verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. This is very, very strong words. Saying you go back to the law, you do these things that you don't need to do, you come into bondage, you're going to lose out with God. You're going to backslide. You're going to get further away from God. You're going to lose your salvation. The Galatians were being urged to be circumcised. The Judaizers, the ones that wanted to convert the Gentiles to Christian, sorry, to, um, to, to become Jews, were teaching that doing so was a necessary component of being a part of the Christian covenant. Paul rejected this motive. Being circumcised for this reason was uh, the same thing as denying the, the power of Christ's atoning blood. Galatians 5 and verse 3. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. You can't just take little bits and pieces out of the law and say, I'm going to follow this. This is good. I like it. But if it's not repeated in the New Testament, if it's not repeated for us, then, then we're just uh, putting ourselves in bondage. We're, we're putting something extra on ourselves that is not good. It's going to lead away from God. It's going 
to put a burden upon us that God never wanted us to carry in the first place. He's indebted to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified from the law, you are fallen from grace. That's a powerful statement. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. It's all about following Jesus. It's all about following him in faith. We don't need to go back to the law. We don't need to start following the principle. Of, uh, sorry, the principles is the wrong word. But the, the, all of the offerings and the sacrifices and all of the things that were laid down in the law. The law was a schoolmaster. The law was something that was only meant to be there until something better could come into place. For us to follow bits and pieces out of the law is going to lead us to lose our salvation. Paul put it that way, that strongly and that plainly. To acknowledge the former covenant's demand to be circumcised was to thereby acknowledge the authority of all 613 commandments of the Mosaic law. Such a position, however, was directly opposed to Christ's gracious offer. The Christian would receive full and final righteousness only at the last judgment, but in the meantime, his or her faith was counted as righteousness, just as Abraham's faith in God was counted as righteousness. Verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. We don't need to have marks in our bodies to indicate that we're following Jesus, but we need to follow him in the full truth of his word. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion comes not of him that calls you. No matter what the Judaizers were saying, they were trying to make it sound like it was from God. It was, it was something that was important to do. It did not come from God. It was a false doctrine. It needed to be rejected. It needed to be um, put out of the church completely. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of sin leavens the entire body. A little bit of the law destroys everything that God wants for us in the church. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubles you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. If I was following circumcision, he said, if I was following the law, then why am I being persecuted by the Jews? Because that was the most important thing to the Jews, that everybody followed the law to the letter. All of the, the different sacrifices, all of the different works that they had to do the Jews were happy with that, but they weren't happy with Paul because he was preaching something better and something different. I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. This was a serious matter. This was a serious thing that Paul was talking about. Paul here denied the rumor that he was still preaching the doctrine of circumcision. He asked why, if he was still preaching this socially approved custom, was he still being persecuted? Verse 12 contains Paul's sarcastic wish that if his opponents were going to continue to make intentional 
physical dismemberment, the core precept of their faith, he would, that he's in, in, uh, he would prefer that they would just go the rest of the way and make themselves eunuchs themselves. Galatians 5 and verse 13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. We have been called unto liberty in the church, but as Brother Simon mentioned this morning, it's not a call to do whatever we want and say we're just under grace. We need to follow Jesus. We need to follow everything that he's put in his word and love, serve one another, encourage one another, lift one another up, not tear one another down. Because that's a part of our natural flesh as well. Finding fault, tearing people down. It's the Australian way. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. If we have problems with each other, we need to be able to forgive. If we have problems with one another, we need to be able to hold our tongue. If we have problems with one another, we need to be able to take it to Jesus and not backbite, not talk down other people, not, not do things against other people. Because we're called to unity. We're called all to be one body. We're called to be one body in Christ together. And if a body is working against itself, it's not going to get too far. It's easy enough for one leg to trip another leg. And then everything just falls flat on its face. But when we work together in unity, when we walk together, when we're all trying to get to heaven, we're all trying to do the right thing, then God blesses that and we can all do incredible, powerful things through his spirit. For Paul, whereas the Jews were born under the obligation to obey the law, Christ's free gift of grace empowered them to fulfill the law by loving their neighbour. If you could all stand, please. Paul spoke very strongly against false doctrine. The interesting thing about the false doctrine that he was speaking against is that it was something that God actually put into place in the first place. But it wasn't meant to be a part of the church. Christ had fulfilled the law and brought in something better. And we need to realize that everything we do needs to match up with the Word of God and what He's called the church to do. We don't get to pick and choose what we want to follow. We don't get to choose... Um, following some sort of a ritual out of the law because it's good. Of course it seems to be good. God put it into place for a particular purpose and a particular reason, but it's not for the church. God has set out the way that we should follow. If we add something, even if it seems to be good, whether it's from the law or not, if we add something, then we're leading ourselves to bondage. We're leading ourselves to something that God has not called us to. If we try to add some rituals, something that's ad additional on top, 
of God's word, something that's not in line with God's word. And if we try to take away from God's word, try to be more liberal, try to, to be less, doing less than what God has called us to do, then that also leads to bondage. And that's the bondage of sin that will take us by surprise because we're not following what Jesus has called us to do. If I could get someone to the piano, please. There are some people here who've been holding on to beliefs, to doctrines, to things that are not aligned with the Word of God. And God wants you to let them go. If it doesn't match up with the fullness of God's Word, then it doesn't belong in our lives. It could be something that you've believed since you were a child. Some of you were taught by someone you respected very much. But if it doesn't match up with the Word of God, then we need to let it go this morning. Just like we are being called to hide the word, God's Word in our heart in a better way, to have His Word in our houses, to have these devotionals, to know the Word of God more, we need to allow the Word of God to talk to us. We need to know what it is that we believe. We need to know what the Word of God says so that we know what it is that we're believing that is not aligned to His Word. And I'm going to say a prayer with everyone. If everyone can be in a prayerful state at this stage, asking the Lord to reveal to us. Because we can be blind sometimes. We can hold on to things that we believe to be true, or we believe are good for us, but they might have been good for a little bit of time to bring us closer to Jesus, but they're not part of God's Word. And so Jesus, Lord, as we stand in your presence tonight, this morning, Lord Jesus, Lord, I feel your presence moving amongst us, Lord. And Lord, I ask, Lord, we can be so blind sometimes, to the things that we believe and to the things that we've believed for a long time and not realize that it's not a part of your word and it's not something that you have called us to. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our understanding. May we be receptive to when you speak to us saying, this is not of me. This is something that needs to be left behind, just like the law needed to be left behind in the way of the church. Lord, may we not put weights upon ourselves that we do not need to carry, but Lord, may we be liberated by your word as we follow it in the way that you have made it for us. And Lord, if we have... If we have, Lord, decided to ignore some parts of your word for our own convenience, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bring that to our minds and our hearts as well, Lord, that we would not, we would not do less than what you have called us to. It is so important, Lord, for our salvation that we do not add those weights or take off what you have put on us to protect us from bondage, Lord. Lord Jesus, may you minister to our hearts this morning. May, Lord, you deal with us this morning. 
And I just want to open up the front of the church if anyone wants to pray here at the front and, and just search their hearts and, and say, Lord, is there something in me? I want to get closer to you. I don't want there to be any bondage in my life. Bondage is horrible. Bondage causes you not to do, to be the best you can be in the church. Bondage holds you back from being the minister that God wants you to be too, from being the the servant that God wants you to be. I urge you, if you feel the Lord moving on your heart this morning, just to come and talk to Him.